morning. Good morning. Everybody good? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll go ahead and turn it to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. We're continuing our series this morning in the uh, names of God. We're going to look at Jehovah Sabaoth. Jehovah Sabaoth. It's the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. Now, this title of God, this particular title of God, uh, Jehovah Sabaoth, reminds us that uh, the God is the director of absolutely everything. God's the director of everything. He's the creator of all, of all creation. Amos 4.13 says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is, what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So he's the Lord of all, the Lord of all the heavenly hosts. All right? So, um, and, and, and host, as a host, it can refer to galaxies and the stars and the planets, um, those that have been discovered and those that haven't been discovered. But the Lord of hosts is also a title that emphasizes God's rule over every other part of nature itself. So physical and spiritual, both realms. Um, when scripture speaks of the host of heaven, it's typically speaking of, um, it's typically speaking of celestial and angelic bodies, but the word host can also refer to humans. So not just, so is something wrong? No. Okay. So it's not just the, the celestial realm or the, the spiritual realm, but it's also the physical realm, human realm as well, nature itself. So when we pray, when you pray to Jehovah Sabaoth, we're praying to a God that's so magnificent that all of creation serves his purposes. And so this title of God, again, Jehovah Sabaoth, it also reminds us that God is the protector of all those who trust in him. All right? He's the director of everything, but he's also the protector of all those that trust in him. So if you're a child of God, if you belong to him, right? And if you belong to him, he's going to protect you. And in God, in him, you are, uh, you're, you are omnipotently secure. Does that make sense? You're absolutely 100% secure. God literally fights for you. That makes sense? Everybody with me? Everybody awake? Yes. Okay. All right. So look at all the, the, the breakthroughs, the technological breakthroughs we've had uh, in the world. Uh, those specifically that we've seen as a result of wars, we've got smart bombs now. We've got bombs that actually have GPS in them. You punch a coordinate in and you throw it up in the air and it's going to go wherever it's supposed to go. And you know, that exists. That actually exists. We're the most powerful world or we're the most powerful nation in the world. We've invented new ways to win battles. But even the most sophisticated and powerful weapons, like these smart bombs, even the most sophisticated and powerful weapons in the world are nothing next to God. Absolutely nothing. He has at his disposal the entire creation that he created, and it's going to accomplish his purposes. Amen? Amen. So let's look at some scripture, uh, a lot of scripture, but we're going to look at some scripture real quick that illustrates where God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, all right? So in, in 2 Chronicles 14, 11, when King Asa comes to against a million-man Ethiopian army, uh, he prayed this prayer, uh, 2, Chronicles 14, 2 Chronicles 14, 11. He said, Asa cried to the Lord, his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, 
You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the essence of this name is that God's a warrior who fights for his people. Okay? David said it this way in Psalm 27. He said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So we're in a battle, right? We're in a spiritual battle. Every believer is in a spiritual battle. And we got to remember that we're on the winning side. Amen? Amen. So God is the name, uh, or God's name is the Lord of hosts. And that title emphasizes that God is sovereign over all the powers in heaven and all the powers on earth, especially over the armies of Israel. All right. And so in Exodus 15, 3, uh, this is, it's a, he says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So the Lord of hosts gives us protection. But guess what he can also do? The Lord of hosts gives us protection. He can also take it away. He can also remove the protection. We have to trust in him. We have to believe in him. We have to, and the most powerful people in the world, the kings and the presidents all over this world, the most powerful people are nothing compared to God. That's right. Right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? Greatest king of his time. He was humbled by God for seven years until he came to a proper understanding of the Lord of hosts. Listen to what he said to Daniel 4. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and the, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay in his hand or say to him, what have you done? So this title, Jehovah Sabaoth, it's a title that emphasizes God's rule over every other power in the universe. That's what the term Lord of hosts mean, means. And it was and the term Lord of hosts was used 280, 282 times in Scripture. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I want to look at the story uh, that, that really illustrates this title more than any other in all of Scripture. That's the story of David and Goliath. And, and, and I want us to look at it and really understand how personal and how transforming this name of God is. It's the God who rules all the hosts of heaven. And guess what? If you're a believer, he's your father. All right. So as we look at uh, this, this account, this historical account, most people, most preachers make David like us. They, 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 they relate ourselves to David and the story of David and, and Goliath. They say, you can slay your giants. I've heard, I can't tell you how many sermons that I've run across that says that. Uh, you can slay your giants with God's help. But listen, we're not like David in this story. David is a type of Christ, right? In his humanity, he's God's chosen king. And so, you know, obviously Christ is the true king who conquers his enemies. But who are we in the story? We're not David. We're not like David. We're like the armies of Israel who are trembling on the sidelines. That's who we are. That's who we represent. So Jesus is our king. He's our deliverer. And we can learn a whole lot from this story and, and from the words of David here. So let's go ahead. Uh, if you're in First Corinthians or First Chronicles or First, first Samuel, it's first something. 1 Samuel 17. We'll start in verse 40. Let's go ahead and stand up. Honor the holy and precious word of God. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 40. Then he, David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. 
And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give you the dead bodies And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, I come to you humbly right now. And Lord, I just, I thank you for every single thing that you have done in the life of every single believer in this room. Lord, there's so many things that go on in our lives that we, that we tend to forget your place in it. Your place is head. Not only are you head of the, of the church, but you're the head of our lives. And so, Lord, if, if anybody here amongst us has, has forsaken that, has, has forgotten that, Lord, let us repent right now in this moment. Let us remember exactly who you are. You are Lord, you are Savior, but God, you're the Lord of hosts. That means that you fight for us. When we're too weak to fight for ourselves, Lord, you fight for us. And I pray that we understand that out of this, this lesson today, out of this message today, that, that, that if you're for us, who can be against us? God, we love you. We honor you. We give you all the praise and glory right now. In the holy and beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, let's come to our first point. If you're taking notes... And I hope you're taking notes, but if you're taking notes, point number one, the Lord of hosts protects us. The Lord of hosts protects us. So physically, David couldn't beat the Goliath, could he? Look at how small he was compared to how massive Goliath was. Physically, he could not defeat Goliath. Strategically, he couldn't defeat Goliath either. Strategically, he had no armor, he didn't have a sword, he didn't have any weapon. All he had was five smooth stones, right? And then logically, he couldn't defeat Goliath either, right? There's just no way he could defeat him. So with Jesus, the night he was arrested, remember how he assured the disciples that he had more than six legion of angels, which would have been around 72,000 angels, and he had them at his beck and call, right? 
And that was the clear evidence of God's power. And, and so with that clear evidence, couldn't the man, the, the same man who cast out devils and walked on water and raised the dead and multiplied bread for thousands and calmed the storm, don't you think he could have done something to save himself? Don't you think that he could have done something different to save us than dying on the cross? If he was God in human flesh, why was he nailed to a cross? We know the answer to the question. We know the answer to that. It's the it's it's actually the high high point, the low point of human history. It's it's the day God laid down His weapons and gave His Son to take our place. He let Satan have his way that day. He did. Jesus was whipped and he was mocked and he was he was stripped naked. And he was hung to on, on a cross. He was cut with a crown of thorns. He was publicly displayed. He was publicly displayed like he was the devil's own trophy that day. But that didn't last long. It didn't last long at all. It was a struggle, and it cost God his only son. But the prize that came from that was the greatest in the history of this world. Jesus became the Savior of the world. And not through just a display of supernatural power, but through a display of what? Weakness. Through a display of weakness. So it was through a display of his obedience to God. He discarded every weapon but his own complete perfect submission to his father's will. He had nothing else but his submission to God. He laid down his life as God's redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. All right. Isaiah, Isaiah describes the Lord of hosts as our Lord and redeemer in Isaiah 44. It says, thus say, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. That's Isaiah 44, six. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So look, we're in a massive battle with what? Wickedness. In a massive battle with wickedness. And in this story, David is Jesus. Right? And Goliath is all that sin. He's death, hell, and the devil, and the grave. All of that. That's what Goliath represents. Paul says our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood. Right? He says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what our battle is against. And he urges us to come what? Dressed for battle. We're to come dressed for battle and put on the full armor of God. So that we can stand in the day of evil. So as we stand in that day of evil, we got to remember that despite appearances, despite the way the thing, the way things look, when the battle's at its worst, who's with us? God, the Lord of hosts. He's with us. He's fighting for us and with us. And he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That should make you jump up and shout. Amen. Amen. So remember the promises. Be still and remember that he's with you, right? Psalm 46, 10 and 11 says, Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And in Psalm 84, 12, it says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So if you feel far away from God, how many of you, raise your hands, how many of you have ever felt in a place where you were Far away from God. Amen. That's right. I feel that way right now. Just being transparent. 
if you feel that you're that he's like a million miles away, I want you to remember Zechariah 1.30. And this is a prayer that I've been praying the last week and a half for myself. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So the Lord of hosts protects us. Here's your next point. The Lord of hosts is present with us. The Lord of hosts is present with us. So the greatest preparation that, that David had was obviously not his 19-year-old body. That wasn't the greatest preparation he had. He never went through any kind of basic training or any kind of any kind of training like that. He, he The greatest warfare, warfare preparation that David had was spiritual warfare. That's what prepared him for this, was the spiritual warfare that he went through. Remember, spiritual warfare takes place in the physical world, right? It absolutely does. When we go to be with the Lord, the battle's what? Over. When we go to be with him, the battle's over. So we're going to face the spiritual warfare in the physical realm. And in those battles and in those struggles, when life is at its most difficult, you've got to remember, we're never alone. We're never alone. I love what the verses before our text says. If you look back, if you're still there, 1 Samuel 17, look back to verses 37 to 39. It says, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So Saul said to David, the Lord be with you. And the Bible says Saul then clothed David with his armor. And, I, and I, I, I can just hear David thinking, well, if the Lord is with me, why do I need all this? Why do I need all of this physical armor if I'm, the Lord is with me and I'm clothed with spiritual armor? So if the Lord's with me, then why do I have to go armed like a Philistine? So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them and he put them off. So he didn't learn to trust in God and Saul's army. That's not where he learned to trust in God. He took, God took David on his own predestined pathway to sanctification. So here's the application. You're never alone in the battles of your life. Remember, Christ is our David. So he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And in Christ, you are in the Lord of hosts. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because of God's presence, even when our battles are confusing, we're always armed. We're always armed. So by all human accounts, David, he didn't look cut out for the battle against Goliath, did he? Saul didn't even believe David was cut out for it. That's why he armed him with all those things. He said, verse 33, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for but you are a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And then verse 40 says that David arms himself with five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag with which he had even in a scrip and his sling was in his hand and he went with his shield bearer in front of him. So he didn't have any armor. He didn't have anything to protect himself. He didn't have a spear. He didn't have a sword. He wasn't trusting in his own self-sufficiency, right? He wasn't trusting in his own self-sufficiency or in the few weapons that he had his total confidence was in the power of who? God, the Lord. That's right. So this was the most significant battle preparation of the day. Was not all was not all the armor on either side of this valley, 
but it was this boy who went to a brook and picked up five smooth stones. That was the only preparation that he had to prepare for this battle. And he could look back at how Gideon fought the Midianites or how Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And remember that the Gideon, if he, if he could use trumpets and pitchers and lamps, and then David could use a smooth stone, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you look in, the, in, in the, all the accounts in Scripture, the greatest victories in the Bible were not waged with sophisticated weapons. They weren't. They, there was no massive armies either. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So every generation, every single generation has to learn to fight and follow God. And David had this awareness of what? He had an awareness of God's greatness. He was totally aware of how great God was, and he completely and totally depended on God alone. The soldiers of Israel were in in all of what? Goliath. Look back at verses 23. This is before the text, but 23 to 25 in 1 Samuel 17. As he talked with them, behold, the champion of Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard it. All of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? So all they could talk about was this big old giant that came up. That's all they could talk about. Have you seen this man who has come up? But David had a different perspective, though. He, he, had, he had the right perspective. He, while the soldiers, they, they could say, have you seen this man? That's all they could say. David could only say, who is this man? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's verse 26. Look, I know there's a lot of fear. A lot of us, we've all experienced fear in our lives, right? It comes from our failure of being in awe of God. That's where fear comes from. If we're afraid of anything, whatever it is, it comes in our failure to be in awe of God. And it when you think about it, it's really reflected in weak witnessing on our part. Because if we're not in awe of God and we have a fear of anything physical, then how can we be bold in our witness to other people? It's impossible. It's impossible. We've forgotten that we have, a spirit, we have spiritual authority because of the presence of Christ in us. We have spiritual authority and who's Christ? He's the Lord of hosts, right? He fights on our behalf. And so the church today, I fully believe that lacks spiritual authority. David didn't rehearse these words that he spoke. He didn't rehearse them beforehand. He didn't take into account what other people might think of him. He had a genuine consciousness of the greatness of God. He saw God high and lifted up. He's, but, but he also saw him as one who was near and an almighty God that would stoop down to help him. Amen? So here's the application. If you're on the Lord's side, then the Lord is on your side. If you're on the Lord's side, he's on your side. And David knew that truth. And after Goliath got done spewing his threats and saying the stuff that he said, David started claiming the authority of heaven against the man who blasphemed God. Said in verse 45 to 47, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's Jehovah Sabaoth. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, or defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this and, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So David said to the Goliath, you defy God. God's going to deliver you into my hands. He said, I'll kill you. I will cut off your head. And in fact, your entire army will be defeated today. Why was he confident? Why was he so confident in what he was saying? Because he knew God was real. The living God was real. And, And basically in that field, in that battle, he was like an evangelist. He was preaching, in a sense, the gospel. Because he says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So in essence, he's preaching the gospel. So here's the application with that point. Don't fear circumstances. Don't fear other people. Don't fear men or circumstances, but only fear who? The Lord. That's right. We ought to be committed to serving the Lord, whether it's in our home or our work or our church. We're going to have plenty of pressure to defy the Lord in our lives. We've talked about this. We're going to have plenty of pressure to defy the Lord, but we shouldn't be afraid to take a stand for the Lord. Amen? Amen. We can't stay silent. And and look, most of the churches today in the world, they do what? They follow the world. A lot of them stay silent because they don't want to offend. If If you offend somebody, then they may not come back. And if they don't come back, that's money you're not going to, we're not going to get in a collection plate. So let's not offend anybody by telling them the truth. Look, don't ever be afraid to stand up for Scripture. Don't ever apologize for what the Bible says. That's right. Ever. The Lord of hosts protects us. The Lord of hosts is present with us. And here's our last point. The Lord of hosts promises victory. Mm-hmm. The Lord of hosts promises victory. Remember what the text says. The battle is not ours. It's whose? The battle belongs to the Lord. But it says in verse 47 that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Reminds me back of what I said earlier. Verse uh, Psalm 27 verse Psalm 20 verse 7 when David uh, said some trust in chariots and some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So who's the champion? Jesus. Jesus is the champion. Look how David responds. He implements his philosophy. He says David was running. It says David was running as fast as he could, and then he was running as fast as he could. And as he's running, he kneels down by the brook, but he's running. So the text says he's running, but he's not running away. He's running toward Goliath, not running away from him, but toward him. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. His brothers were in, in all of him. His brothers thought, look, this guy's fixing to go embarrass us and embarrass his whole family. King Saul was worried sick and uh, he, he thought Dave was probably about to go commit suicide in this battle. And it happened really quick. This whole account would happen probably within a matter of seconds. It happened really quick. quick. But in, in verses 49 and 51, it said, David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead the stone sank into his forehead and, and he fell on his face to the ground 
So David prevailed, prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that there was a cha- that their champion was dead, they fled. So in a matter of seconds, this likely didn't last very long, just a matter of seconds, the big old giant had a rock sucked into his forehead. He folds up, he hits the ground, the, the entire army flees, and this was an embarrassing day for the Philistines. Remember, as I said earlier, Jesus is our David. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's what Romans 8.37 says. Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, 55-57, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through the Lord of hosts, we have victory. Amen? Amen. The only person fully in touch with with, with God on that day was David. He was the only person fully in touch with God. He understood spiritual warfare in all of his battles. And he shows where his mind and his heart were at. Verse 46, he said, all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So that's where his mind and his heart were at. And they know. You know people you come in contact with, like your family, your friends, co-workers, do they see the spiritual victories in your life? And are you trusting in yourself and your strategies? Or are you trusting in the Lord of hosts? See, he's the one that guides all creation, right? Because he created it all. He leads the armies of heaven on your behalf. He fights on your behalf. God's for us. Who can be against us? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Father, thank you for fighting our battles for us. We're too weak. Lord, we, I just pray that we have the strength of David, the confidence of David to know that you're there. You are there. We're not going into battle alone. We're not going into battle unarmed, but you are there with us fighting our battles. And as long as we are armed with that confidence in our faith, then we can, we can, we can, we can meet anything head on. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that assurance. You've given us victory. So we should look at the devil right in his face and look at death and look at sin, look at it all right in the face and say, where's your sting? Because we're not fighting our own battles. You're fighting them for us. God, praise you for that. We love you. We honor you. And we thank you now. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. So real quick. There's a story that I heard a while back, um, and I may have shared it here before. I couldn't remember if I shared it here before or not, but I want to share it if, if I haven't. But years ago, before society got so sensitive, there was a there's this boy who got in trouble all the time. All right, constantly getting in trouble at home. We can call him Braden. He was always breaking the rules. He was breaking the rules at home. He was breaking the rules at school. And his father struggled to understand why. He was a good father. We call him Father Jimmy. <laughs> he, he provided for his son in every possible way. 
and uh, he had a good home. He spent time with him, intentionally showed him his unconditional love. But the father just couldn't understand why his son, why Braden, wouldn't behave. He raised the boy in church, had him in Sunday school. He's reading the Bible to him daily, praying with him, but his son's behavior was just a mystery to him. One day his son was upstairs playing around with a baseball that he had been told repeatedly not to play with, and he ended up breaking one of the bedroom windows. The kid knew better and knew the father, and he knew the father was headed upstairs. And as the father headed upstairs, he took off his belt. His son knew what was coming. So his son voluntarily bent over. He kneeled next to his bed. But here's what the father said. He said, son, take the bell. The son did. And then his father took off his shirt, kneeled down on the bed and said, son, I want you to give me seven lashes with this belt across my back. The boy started to cry and said that he couldn't do it. His father kept insisting until he finally relented and started hitting his father across the back with the belt. But it wasn't hard enough. So he said, harder, son, harder. When the boy finally lashed the belt across his father's back seven times, Father said, do you know why I had you do this? The son said, no. Father said, when Jesus went to the cross for us, he took the worst punishment that's ever been inflicted upon any man. He was pummeled, he was beaten, his beard was plucked out, and he was punished like no one has ever been punished. Who do you really think did this to Jesus? And the boy, still crying and bawling, hesitated, and finally said that he thought it was the Jews or the Romans But the boy's father looked at him and said, no, it was God the Father who punished Jesus for everything that we have ever done wrong or will ever do wrong in the future. He took the punishment that he didn't deserve to save those who didn't deserve saving. That's how much the Father and Jesus loved us. And it was God's love displayed for us who deserved. It was God's love displayed for us who deserved actually his wrath. So the boy was shaken deeply by the lesson, and from that day forward, he never really seemed to get into that much trouble again. He wasn't perfect, but uh, he wasn't uh, by no means the same kid that he was before that lesson. So, as sinners, we're sinners by birth and sinners by what? Choice. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. We're just like the sun, right? We cause trouble everywhere we go because that's all we know. That's all we know. Until we're born again, there's no hope for us to be reconciled or to be pleasing to the Father. And God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus, right? He took our guilt, and and Jesus took all of it. He took the weight of God's wrath due to us. He took it all on himself so we might be declared absolutely 100% innocent. He came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and then three days later, God raised him from the dead. The word of God says, because you've heard that, you're commanded to respond to it, right? You're going to walk out this door and reject it, or you're going to receive it. God says the command is to repent and believe the gospel. Now, I don't know everybody's heart here. I don't, but I know the day's the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. So as we start this time of invitation, you've got the opportunity to respond right now. If you want to talk about salvation, if you want to talk about it, have a discussion about that, I'll stay as long as I need to. We can talk about that. We can have a discussion about church membership or or baptism or, or if you just want to come to the altar and pray. But right now, during this time, respond.